Sometimes it's good to have a reminder in our worship that God's not against. How many of you know the lie of the enemy is that God would be against you, that he's working overtime to stop you and block you and hold you back? But sometimes we just got to remind not only ourselves, but we have to remind our enemies that he is for me and not against me. Come on, when you get that, everything changes in your faith. When you know that, everything changes in your faith. Because now you don't have to beg and plead God for something that he is more than willing and able and wanting to do. I was talking with a sister in the Lord the other day, and we were talking about the kind of the terms of salvation. And, you know, in, in, in a church setting like this, we often lead people in a prayer of salvation, meaning, you know, we confess that we're a sinner, but, you know, we lead them in a prayer to guide them in that prayer. But actually, the salvation prayer isn't outlined in the Bible in that way at all, but we, we do it to help people. But really, he just says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So there have been many people who, in a song or in a moment, just believed in their heart and confessed with their mouth. And at that moment, salvation came to their house. But we were saying how, you know, it's not like the Holy Spirit is standing there and he's saying, you know, if you get it all right, dot the I, cross the T, then I'll come in. It's like the Holy Spirit is just there breeding and brooding just just give me a, a, a just give me a crack in the door and I'll come flooding into that place but you see how in religion we say well no you got to get it all right get it all right and then I'll come in but come on in faith he says you just give me an ounce a mustard seed of faith and I'll come swooping into that thing amen amen all right well that's not even my sermon but that's for free you can have it it's all good well we concluded last week our message series on the topic of revelation. Hopefully you are blessed by that. And sometimes I pre-plan sermons and out and what happens is I'll say something or hear something or Holy Spirit says something and it just kind of gets stuck in my head. And last week, as we were talking about the return of Christ, I had mentioned to you that ancient rabbis often say that when Christ returns, that the dirt or the dust will actually cry out, curse, get off me. And all week long, that has been stuck in my head. Curse, get off me. Can you just say that with me? Curse, get off me. That's the reason that your Bible says that we groan for the coming of the Lord because creation was never meant to live under the curse never designed to live under the curse. This, this world and the, the system and, and how it's created was never designed to live under a curse. So all creation's groaning for that day that the curse is removed. So as that was kind of resonating in my head and in my heart this week, I felt very clear from the Lord that we're going to dive in this week and we'll see how far it goes and, and what we do in the weeks to come. But I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the curse and the blessing. Now, right from the top, how many of you would prefer blessing? You don't even know exactly what I'm talking about, but it sounds a lot better, right? But before we get to the blessing, I want us to completely understand the curse. Because if we don't have a good understanding of the curse, where it came from, how it operates, why it's in our lives, you know, what it's doing in our lives, then we can't uh, fully be able to spot it and fully then embrace what the blessing has done until we can fully understand what it is that the curse has done. Your Bible says to you that ever since Adam's sin, this earth and mankind have been under a curse. Now, this curse in its simplest form can be summed up really to Murphy's Law, which says whatever can go wrong will go wrong. That's how the curse works. If there's a way for it to self-destruct, it will. How many of you ever felt like that's your life, a clear picture? Had one of those days, whatever could go wrong, absolutely went wrong. Can I tell you that's actually what the curse is? But it's not how we were created. If we go back to the book of Genesis, we see that when God created Adam and Eve, he looked at what he created and he said, it's good. It's absolutely good. If you really study the book of Genesis and that creation, we find that even the, the, it says the earth would just produce vegetation. Like there was no thorns or thistle. It would just 
automatically self-produce. How awesome is that? Like the seed was in the fruit and then it would just keep reproducing and you just had a continual harvest of blessing. Right? Like that was how the earth was created to function. That's how this world was created to be. And God made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and he said, listen, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to have dominion over the garden. I want you to subdue it. You name the animals. You have control over this world. I've given this world to you as a gift. And it was a wonderful, excellent way to live. And it's how we were designed to live. No curse, no shame. Actually, if you open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 25. I want you to see this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And it says, speaking of Adam and Eve, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I want you to pay attention to that word, not ashamed. There was no shame. That wasn't even a concept to them. That in their nakedness, that they would feel some type of way. There's that inward part of our being and our DNA now because of the curse that produces shame in our life. But I want you to see when Adam and Eve were in the garden and it was self-producing and it was glorious and God would come down and talk and there was no separation between God and man and we had this wonderful relationship with God and we were never even created to die. We were just going to live in perpetual blessing with God forever. Come on, somebody. That's, that's how we are designed. That's what God had called us to do. But we know the story, most of us, of Adam and Eve. This serpent comes to, to Eve and convinces her. God's, God had to give Adam and Eve a choice because anything that doesn't have a choice doesn't have free will. Therefore, we could not enter into a loving relationship with God because otherwise we would be robots. Come on, so God had to put one tree in the middle of the garden and said, you can do anything you want, just don't eat of this tree because that's your love test. You're not with me because you have to be. You're with me because you choose to be. So he puts this love test in the garden. They, they fail, they fall, they partake of the fruit. And I want you to see Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 7. Immediately after they fall, it says the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were naked. So they sewed some fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Going down to verse 11, the Lord comes and he says, Now who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I had commanded you not to eat? What is the first thing that we see as a result of the curse? Shame. No shame prior to sin. Unhindered relationship with God. A land flowing with blessing and opulence and they had no need or want for anything. There was no sickness, no disease, no death. It was paradise, literally. Your Bible calls it paradise on earth. Sin enters and suddenly, the first thing we see is a part of the curse, shame. So because Adam and Eve sinned, we see some more curses coming on people. And here's what he says in verse 16. He says, he said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. And in pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire will be your husband and he will rule over you. He goes on to the man and he says, Cursed is the ground on your account. In hard labor you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth to you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground. Because if out of it you were taken, for you are dust and dust you will return. All a part of the entrance of the curse. So humanity, humanity had this dramatic fall. Curse entered the bloodstream of humanity. Our world was darkened. 
Death was now a part of the reality of the human experience. The ground now was cursed and we would have to work the ground and till the ground and there would be thorn and thistle in the ground. And if we wanted to eat, it would say we would have to work by the sweat of our brow to produce food. And at the end of all of that work, we would simply return to the dust from where we were created. But that was never how we were meant to be. So how do we get free from the curse? And can we ever be free from it. Today I want to give you a resounding yes. You actually already are free from the curse. I'll give you really quickly if you would turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. And I'm going to read real quickly Uh, Verses 1 through 20, and that might sound like a lot, but just hang with me, and you'll understand why in just a second. Now, it will be, if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I am commanding you today, then the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth, and all these blessings, everybody say blessings, will come on you and overtake you. I'm liking where this scripture is going, right? If you will listen to the voice of the Lord your God, you will be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, getting better and better. Your offspring will be blessed. And the produce of your ground, isn't that interesting that he said the produce of your ground? Because what was the part of the curse was the ground would be cursed. But he says, listen, if you hearken unto my voice and you you do my commandments, then your your, your ground is going to be blessed. Your offspring will be blessed. Uh, Your livestock, the increase of your herd and the flocks of your sheep, your possessions will be blessed. Your blanket and your uh, kneading bowl will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord recalls your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you set your hand to do. He will bless you in the land which your Lord God is giving you. Come on, somebody. This is good scripture quoting stuff right here. I grew up hearing my mother walking the halls reading Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will establish you as a holy place to himself. Just as he swore to you, if you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, all the people of the earth shall see that you are called uh, by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. The Lord will make uh, you overflow in prosperity, in offering of your body, and in offering of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, and the land which the Lord God swore unto your fathers. The Lord will open up to you his good treasure the heavens to give you rain in the land of its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will be only above and not beneath if you listen to the commandments of the Lord. But don't stop there. Let's jump down to verse 15. But it will happen if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord your God by being careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today, that all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And I, I love how the exact wording here, you will be cursed in this city and cursed in the field. Your basket and your kneading bowl will be cursed. Your offspring will be cursed along with the fruit of your land, the produce of your herd and, and the flocks of your sheep. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. I just love that because, you know, I've born and raised in the church and I have heard I'll be blessed in the field, blessed in the valley, blessed coming in, blessed going out. Everything I put in my hand, I've heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it. But so often we forget that it goes on and says, if you're not listening to the voice of the Lord and his commandments, you will not be blessed in the field and you won't be blessed in the valley and you won't, everything you put your hand to do won't be blessed. Come on, somebody. And here's what I want, I want to jump to verse 20. The Lord will send cursing, vexation, and rebuke 
in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doing. I want to give you a little commentary on this and then we'll come back and I want to explain a little bit more of that. Every sickness and disease and plague is a part of the curse of the law. It's a part of the curse that came, what we just talked about, when Adam and Eve sinned, in came the curse into the world. And as a part of that curse, every sickness, every disease, every infirmity, all entered the world because of that curse. Now, many people have been taught, well, maybe God put sickness and disease on me or let me experience it because he wanted to teach me something and it's really disguised as a blessing. Let me just straighten this out for you real quick. Okay? It's never from God. God doesn't operate in curses. He doesn't put sickness on his children to teach them something. Come on, how many parents in the room would say, you know what, I'm going to afflict my children with, you know, with a sickness or a disease to try to teach them something? It's, it's just not in the DNA of God. It's never the will of God for anyone to be sick. If it were, then we have a problem with what Jesus did on the cross. Because your Bible says that when he went to the cross, he bore our sicknesses, took our diseases, took our infirmities on himself, and hung it on a tree. So if Jesus took our infirmities, our sicknesses, and our diseases, and hung on a tree and died so that we don't have to have them, and then we stand and we say, well, God's putting this on me to teach me something, then God would have to turn around and apologize to Jesus and say, what you did on the cross wasn't good enough. I'm taking that back and I'm going to put it on this person. Come on, somebody. We think in our minds, well, sickness and, and disease and infirmity, those, those, those things are the big things. But no, actually, he says that he bore our sin. We have no problem believing that, but can I tell you, sin is the greater thing here. That's the, that's the greater miracle. That was the harder thing. Believing that he took our sickness, our disease, our infirmity, that's the lower. But for some reason, we have a reverse. Like, well, I can believe God that he took my sin and saved my soul, but I can't believe that he took my disease and took my sickness. So he took our sickness and our disease and he bore it on a cross. So if sickness and disease is never from God, it's never the will of God, how can verse 20 say the Lord will send cursing, vexation, and rebuke? Doesn't it seem like, well, how does that, how does that map out? I want to help you a little bit. I want you to go back to Exodus chapter 12. Verse 23, Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, familiar story, Moses is going to Pharaoh and telling Pharaoh, hey, God said, let his people go, and Pharaoh denies and denies, and so eventually these plagues come on the land, and the final one is that the angel of death would pass by, and God told his children, here's what I want you to do, I want you to take uh, a sacrifice, and I want you to put the blood of that animal over your doorpost, and when when the destruction comes over, when the angel of death comes over, he'll see the blood and know, well, that house is protected. And it's all a foreshadowing of when Christ's blood would be spilled and we would receive that. It was a foreshadowing that the blood is applied to our life. I want to preach right there because I want to show you how it's a picture of how we are removed from the curse. That when the curse comes, it can't touch this. Come on, somebody. When the curse comes, we can yell, get off me like the dust. Get off me. The blood has been applied. But listen, because some people are very confused. Well, well, well if it's on me, then didn't God let it happen? Didn't God put this on me? But here's what I want you to see. And we, we, we use stories like this, and we, we don't understand. But listen, it says, for when he sees the blood upon the lintel and the, the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not permit the destroyer to come into your houses to kill you. The Lord will pass over and will not permit who? 
the destroyer. It never said God. It never said Jesus. He just said he won't permit the destroyer from coming. Can I, the way I picture it is like there's this black invading force of darkness. It's, it's the curse. It's the destroyer. It, it's what produces darkness and destruction in our lives and in our world. And, and God comes in and he just puts his covering and he says it can touch anything around, but it can't touch them. The destroyer. So was it really God killing anybody? No. It was the entrance of the curse without the protection of God. I want you to see this in Malachi chapter 3. I know we talk about this a lot because we uh, get ready to take our tithes and offerings and we like to talk about Malachi chapter 3. Come on, somebody. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, how have I robbed you? He goes on to say, in tithes and offerings. And I'm not getting ready to take our offerings, so that's all right. But listen to what he says. You are cursed with a curse. Your whole nation. For you are robbing me, bringing all the tithe into my storehouse, that there may be food in my house, says the Lord. Test me now, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open uh, to you the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. But now listen to what he says. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that it will not destroy the fruit of your ground and the vines of your field will not fail to bear fruit. So, yes, it says we're cursed with the curse, but we say, well, then if we don't tithe, then God's going to curse us. No, because now we put God in the wrong category because God is not a man that he would curse something. He brings blessing. But he says when you don't operate, because remember what we read back in Deuteronomy, if you will heed the command of the Lord, then the blessing will be released over your life. The blessing serves as the blood over the doorpost, which stops the devourer. Come on, somebody. So that's why he's saying, even in your giving and in your tithes and your offerings, it's not that God's going to curse you because you don't do it. He says, but when you disobey, it removes the protection and the devourer has access to touch what he should never be able to touch. So we got to get a clear understanding of what's the enemy and what's God in our lives. Well, God's letting me go through this season, letting me do this thing because i got to learn something. Yeah, you got to learn how to apply the word of God in your situation. That's what you got to learn. you got to learn to not just accept everything as what it is and say, well, this is just my lot in life. you got to understand there are two forces at work. There's the force of blessing, which Jesus Christ died on the cross to, bring, to produce in our life. And there's the force of the curse. Even though Christ dealt with it on the cross, it's very much alive in the earth today. And these forces are at you and coming after your life. One scripture says it's almost like a, a, Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking what it may devour. Didn't we just read that two other times? The devourer, the devourer, seeking what he may devour. Why? He's looking for opportunity where we have disobeyed the command of God, which would give him entrance into our lives to produce the curse where God has called blessed. And like I started by saying, it's not like God's sitting there just saying, well, you got to make sure you have everything right and perfect and dot the I and cross the T. He's like, just give me a little faith. Just give me a little believing and I will rush in and destroy the destroyer. I'll rush in and put a hedge of protection so strong around you and your life and your family that no adversary, no curse will be able to breach that line. So judgment in our lives looks less like God being angry with us and wanting to punish us for something. And it looks more like us choosing to live under the curse and the destroyer instead of receiving the blessing. That's all you needed to know right there. The judgment of God is less about God's waiting with a hammer. Just, just do it wrong. Go ahead. Watch. And more about us choosing 
to not follow the plan of God and stepping outside of the protection that is provided in his plan. Like, come on, if you're in the military and you're on a special ops, they have certain, you know, and I don't know this from experience, but, you know, I've watched enough movies that I'm guessing. But, you know, they, they put some things in place to protect you. Something goes wrong, they're going to swoop in. But there's no obligation to protect somebody who decided to go rogue and do their own thing. Because now they don't even know where you are. You're not where you were supposed to be at the assigned time because you're doing something off on your own thing. And now when you're in trouble and you're saying, help, help. Well, you've removed yourself from the plan that provides protection. Now, we serve a gracious and a loving and a generous God that he says, before you can even form my name in your mouth, I'll hear you and respond. He's big enough to get us out of our mistakes. But sometimes we go around the same mountain over and over and over again because all we want to do is keep going rogue and doing our own thing and have God just get us out of it. But can I tell you, the plan of God is not to keep getting us out of situations. The plan of God is to get us into abundant blessing and promise of where we're supposed to be living, where we have too much overflow to give other people. And we can't do that if we're broken all the time. We can't do that if we're depressed all the time and we're sad all the time and we're poor all the time because we don't know how to apply the blessing of God where the blessing of God belongs. The same pattern is true at salvation. It's very basic. Why would a loving God send people to hell? He absolutely doesn't. Matter of fact, he so much doesn't want them to go to hell that he pulled apart himself and sent himself down to earth in the form of his son, was tempted and overcame every temptation. And don't think that that's a small thing. Sometimes we like, well, you know, he didn't sin. He didn't sin. That's an easy thing. Let's, come on, can we go 20 minutes without having a bad thought? Can we go, you know, one day without having some sin somewhere? Jesus did it for 33 and a half years. Why? Because he knew what was on the line. He suffered, he bled, he died on the cross. Why? So that there would be a way, an avenue of blessing where those people could come and get in line and they could receive the blessing and salvation of God and never have to experience the curse of death hell, and destruction. We know that. The Bible says that it is his will that all should come to faith. Will all come to faith? No, because the love test means he has to give choice. So a loving God doesn't send people to hell. People send people to hell. Rejection of the blessing sends people to hell. Embracing my own will, my own way, my own path sends people to hell. That's why Deuteronomy 30, 19, it says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life, everybody say life, Life. and death, everybody say death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, choose life. That, in religion, that blows every religious theology out of the water. Well, if it's happening to you, then it must be God's will. And why do you say choose life? Why would he tell me to choose something that I had no power or ability to choose? Blessing and cursing are set before us. Choose wisely. In what we just read in Deuteronomy, if you pay attention to the beginning of Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, it says, Now it will be if, if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all of his commandments, which I am commanding you to do today. If, verse 15, where it's the promise of destruction for disobedience, but it will happen if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. I've set before you life and death. I've set before you blessing and cursing. See, I don't know why we, we, we practice this principle when it comes to salvation. Why choose Jesus and now I receive eternal life? Okay. I receive it. It's mine. But in that same verse, 
He says blessing and cursing. Same principle. Choose it. Okay. Some people say, well, I believe that's under the law. Well, yep, this verse is under the old covenant. But if you look at our world, it doesn't take much convincing to understand that the curse is still active in the world. Jesus, through the cross, offered redemption from the curse to all who would choose it. But the curse is still active. And the curse is looking for an opening. I heard somebody say it's, the curse is like sunshine in a way. If anybody will get outside, they're going to get a little bit on you some way or another. We live in a fallen world, which means the curse touches us. But we have options to choose. I have a slide. There are seven areas of our lives that the curse affects. And I'm uh, not going to read through the, the verses of all of these, but it's all in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And you can read these on your own. But here are some ways that the curse uh, manifests in our lives. Number one, poverty. Poverty simply means not having enough. Now, I want to clarify this because I think there's been a lot of abuse when it comes to uh, the realm of prosperity within the church. I want you to know that I am a prosperity gospel preacher. You know that about me. But I do not believe that the prosperity gospel means that everyone should be living in a mansion, driving a Rolls Royce, and doing whatever it is that you want to do. Poverty means not having enough. So prosperity then would mean that I have enough to do whatever it is that God would call me to do. There's nothing wrong with having a beach house and having those things if that's what's your life and income. But as soon as those things begin to have you, you have a problem. But I don't think the promise of God is that the church would all be, you know, rolling in dough and, you know, living in mansions. That's when we get to heaven, we'll deal with all that. But how he wants us to live on this earth is that we have enough in our life that when we see a need, we can meet it. That, it, you know, it, the Bible says, if you know to do good, do good. Like if, if you know somebody's hurting and you have a resource to help them, help them. But poverty limits us from being able to do that. Because if I can't pay my life bill, I can't pay yours. Come on, somebody. So I need the blessing and the prosperity of God in my life so that I have pressed down, shaken together, running over. I can begin to give back into other people. So for me personally, I believe prosperity is having enough to do whatever it is God's asking you to do. Enough to do whatever it is God's asking you to do. I, Sarah and I challenged ourselves. You know, I love to give. We love to, to give to other people. And I heard somebody else do this, so this is an original idea. But, you know, often we will take out of, you know, what we have and, and give it to other people and, and help. And I said, what if we try to do something? I said, let's believe God for $100. That's not from our checks. That's not from any of our income. That's just random from somewhere. And we'll know it when it comes because you know $100 that you weren't expecting when it comes. It's not like, oh, I didn't even know. <laughs> and we're going to earmark that. And we know when that comes, that's not meant for us. That we've already pre-committed that to the Lord. That when it arrives, we will ask God, what do you want us to do with this? And then we're going to ask God to fulfill his word, that that would come back to us pressed down, shaking together. And when it comes back to us, I'm going to believe it's going to be more than 100, maybe 101, maybe 200, I don't know. But when it does, it's not for us. We're going to keep that thing rolling. That it never touches our life, but it's always for other people. And can I tell you, it was a few days later, here it was. And I'm like, ah, oh, it is gardening season. And you know they're having that mulch sale. <laughs> Come on, it's five for ten or something like that at Lowe's and Home Depot. <laughs> but I said, no, God, I committed this thing to you. Can I tell you, we, we've been doing that. This month, randomly, somebody knocked at the church door. And I was like, hey, what, you know, what are you doing? Hey, we just wanted to give this to you. Envelope full of cash, $500. And I said, now this isn't marked for me. I want it to be marked for me. But I've committed to the Lord that this is for somebody else. 
This is to keep this. And do you understand what I'm saying? So now it's like totally out of my care. And it's like, God, if you want to bring a million dollars into my life because I've been faithful with a little, like then it's no big deal because this is God's money. And it's like, if you brought it in supernaturally, then I'll let it go supernaturally and you'll bring it in supernaturally and I'll let it go supernaturally. And suddenly I'll turn around and it's like, I don't even have any wants or cares because I've been faithful to be obedient with what he's given me. And when he says what you make happen for somebody else's house, I'll make happen for your house. Do you see what I'm choosing blessing? I'm choosing life and I'm choosing prosperity. So poverty is a part of the curse. God doesn't want us to live in poverty. He doesn't want his children broke. He doesn't want you, you know, scrunching together to try to get enough food. He wants us to be able to bless other people. Lend to many nations. Nations. Come on, somebody. All right, number two, emotional problems. There's a part of the curse. You can find that in verse 28 and uh, uh, verse 65. Family problems. And this includes marriage problems, problems with our children. You'll find this in verse 30 to 34. Uh, and 41, uh, sickness and disease is a part of the curse. Terrorism, yep, terrorism's in your Bible. You can find that in verses 49 to 50. And failure and defeat is a part of the curse. And lastly, fear is a part of the curse. Do you know fear is often the entrance that the curse uses to get into your world. We look at, well, let, yeah, let's go back to Job because look at what Job, the Bible says he was a righteous man and you know, he, he served God in his generation but yet the enemy came in and asked God if all these things could happen and it happened. And, but if you actually read the verse of scripture, it says that Job feared. He feared that destruction would come. Fear was the open door because wherever you fear the most is where you trust God the least. If I fear God, if I fear that I'm not going to have enough in my finances, it means I need to trust God more in my finances. If I fear destruction is going to come to my house, it means I'm not trusting God to protect my house. Do you understand? Because where there's fear, it means I'm not trusting in the plan and provision of God. Job feared that destruction would come upon him. So when the devourer came and said, I'm going to touch him, God had to say, there's nothing I can do. There's a path of blessing and a path of a cursing. Fear was the entrance. That's why we run from fear. Now I know there's an emotion of fear. And I want you to understand, having an emotion of fear isn't the same thing as living in fear. When Joyce Meyer teaches us, you gotta do some things afraid. But I can't allow my emotions to now dictate my faith. Giving when you don't have it to give is fear. Come on, there's fear involved in that thing. But I override my feelings of fear with faith. Trusting God can have feelings of fear, but I override those feelings with faith. So we can be free from the curse. I want to look at real quickly Galatians 3, 6, and I am closing in just a minute. Galatians 3, 6. And again, this will even just drive home of what I just said. It says, even Abraham believed God, and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. There was no evidence of Abraham's righteousness, but his belief in God, God looked at his belief and said, your belief has made you righteous. Process that for a minute. Don't jump over that. I think it's one of the most powerful verses of Scripture in your Bible. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Why? Faith has always been the vehicle that will produce the will and the purpose of God in your life. It will always, it will always be that way. Uh, go to verse 10. For all who rely on the words of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. To not do them. Now, it is evident that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, for the just shall live by faith. Remember, faith is that vehicle which produces the will of God in our lives. But the law is not of faith, 
for the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Come on, somebody. We should be jumping and screaming and shouting and losing our... (laughs) Christ has redeemed us, I'm not making these words up, from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. As is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that the blessing, everybody shout blessing. Blessing. So that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That's me. We weren't Jewish. We're Gentiles. Through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse. It didn't say when we get to heaven because then there's that whole belief system. Yep, it'll be great when we get over there. But God says it can be great when you are here. He redeemed us from the curse. So when I begin to see things operating in my life that aren't a part of the blessing, I have the choice. I can either allow that to manifest in my life Or I can stand up and call it for what it is and say that's not a part of the blessing of God. That's a part of the curse. And I stand against that using the word of God. And I speak to it and I say you have no place, no authority. Because Jesus Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. Therefore I am free. Therefore I'm not under the obligation of sin, death, and destruction any longer. Because Christ took that on the tree for me. And now there's a hedge of protection around about me and my life. Come on somebody. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Most Christians today believe that bad things happen because they're just unavoidable. We live in a fallen world, and we do. And I can't answer for every bad thing that happens. And, but like I said, when you live in a fallen world, sometimes the curse finds its way in. Yeah. Finds its way in. But I want to help us today really quickly, and team, you can come. I know I need to close, but... I want to give you three quick things to help us reverse the curse in our life and choose blessing. Number one, I think we have these on the slides for you. Number one, be convinced that you are redeemed. Be convinced that you are redeemed. I say that, be convinced. We like to wait for everyone else to try to make it happen for us. Come on. You have to rise up and take authority over your own life. Take dominion over your own life. Nobody's going to come in and try to convince you of anything. The world and the curse is working overtime to convince you otherwise. You are the only one that's going to be able to convince you and remind yourself that you are redeemed. That might mean like taking a look at in the mirror and proclaiming what Job proclaimed when he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know he's alive. I know he took my sin on the cross. I know that I am the head and not the tail. Start quoting Deuteronomy 28. Begin to believe it. Begin to speak it to yourself. I'd preached this before, but there was a gentleman that I was ministering to and you know, he just, he was, he was struggling with, with uh, pornography and, and, and sexual addiction, and it was just such a heavy thing on him. And I said, man, you need to start saying to yourself every single day that you are the righteousness of God, because that sin makes him feel so dirty and ashamed. And I said, I don't care if you looked at porn 20 times today. When you close that laptop, you begin to quote to yourself, I am the righteousness of God. Well, that, why would, well, geez, I don't want to do that. I mean, I just did something evil and sinful. Why would I want to? But what began to happen over time is his mindset began to change. And now suddenly he wasn't operating under the mindset that he was a victim to this sin that he couldn't get out of. Now suddenly he began to see himself as the righteousness of God. Someone who was made in right standing as if they had never sinned because of the blood of Jesus. So now when the temptation would come, it wasn't such a heavy thing to say no because that's not who I am. I begin to separate my identity from the sin because I convinced myself of what Christ died to give me. That I am the righteousness of God and nobody's going to do it for you. No one's going to knock on your door. No one's going to wake you up in the morning and Remind you that you're blessed and not cursed. You got to get responsibility for this. We got to stand up and start walking the hallways of our homes and say, I'm blessed. My children are blessed. My house is blessed. I'm blessed beyond the curse. Yes. 
I've been preaching this to myself all week. (laughs) We are redeemed. Number two, we declare who we are in Christ. Psalms 107 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You have to use your words. Use your words. Proverbs 18 reminds us that blessing and prosperity are in the power of the tongue. I don't have time to go down that whole trail, but you create your world by what you say. Because we were created in the image of God. God could speak and create things. So when we can begin to walk around and say, I'm poor, I'm poor, I'm poor, I'm poor. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. Uh, you know, I have no friends. I have no friends. I have no friends. All of a sudden, we begin to create a world around ourselves. But Abraham believed God. And God accredited to him for righteousness. He he believed God when there was no evidence of it. You may not have two pennies in your bank account, but you can walk around and say, I'm blessed. I'm highly favored of the Lord. Because the blessing of God isn't, isn't dictated by how much I have in the bank anyway. It never was and never is. I could have the blessing of God that will cause me to lend millions to nations and not have a dollar in the bank because I'm not operating that way. I'm operating in the kingdom, which he says, just give and I'll take care of all your needs and I'll do it. Come on. And I'm not just talking about, you know, sometimes you hear preachers, oh, they just want us to give more in the offering. Please do. Please do. Be faithful in your giving. Summer months, be faithful. But I grew up in such a way, I remember our church was such a beautiful place. You know, it was a small church that we grew up in, but I'll never forget seeing uh, some lady walk up to uh, somebody else in the church weeping because it was her favorite dress. And God told her to sell it to somebody else as a seed. I'm watching this as a kid. I remember people having, growing stuff in their garden, bringing it in, putting it in the lobby of the church because, hey, I just want to sow that. People just lived to one another and this way of, Lord, what do I have? How can I be a blessing to other people? That's prosperity. Number three, stop expecting bad things to happen to you. And I've had to preach this to myself many times. Never had a problem with it. And then I had two family members pass from cancer and... You know, one was a a Bible-believing faith person. And at the conclusion of that, you're left with unanswered questions. Why? Why? And I had to eventually come to the conclusion, I won't know why until I get to heaven. But many a times, well, suddenly, you know, what's that? What's this? And your family members, oh, no, you, you begin to expect, and the Lord had to deal with me about that. We have to stop expecting bad things to happen. Not brace ourselves waiting for bad news, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Why? Because that's faith. I'm putting faith that bad things are going to happen in my life. Listen to what Psalms uh, 112 verse 7 says, and I've had to live by this. It says, he shall not be afraid of evil. One translation says, he shall not be afraid of any bad report. His heart is fixed, trusting in God. Not afraid of any bad report. I love that. That challenges the way I live. Now I don't approach the week. Money's going to be tight this week. I don't expect that. I expect God to be faithful. I expect myself to be a diligent steward of what God's provided for me. But I expect God to be faithful. I don't know what's going on in my body and why I have pain, but I expect God to be faithful and perform his word. I don't know why my kids are acting the way that they are, but I expect God to be faithful and to train a child on the way that they should go. And when they are older, they shall not depart from it. I expect that. That's my expectation. That's where I'm living. And even when I don't see it with my eyes, I understand it's a part of the blessing and it's mine if I should choose it. So let's stand to our feet together. Church, I want us to get this. I want us to live this. I want us to know this. We can be blessed in the field and blessed in the valley. We can be blessed coming in and blessed going out. We can have all the provision of God, all the resource of God. If we choose it. Just reminded of a song. I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry. <laughs> but uh, I used to sing as a kid, but there's a line in it that said, 
I forgive me where I have believed the lie that you were unable to help me. That you were unable to help me. Maybe today you're in the room and life's been hard for you. In the natural, there's reason to expect bad reports. There's been disappointment. There's been financial problems. There's been discouragement. There's life hasn't always worked out in the way you would have hoped. And it's caused you to harden your heart towards God. And now when stuff happens, you just believe that it's the providence of God and there's nothing that he can really do about it or will do about it. My greatest prayer for you today is that you would ask God to reach soften that hardened heart and that you would believe again that he can help you even when it's hard, even when there's no evidence of an answer coming, that you would believe that he's able to help us. So, Father, we stand before you now as your church. And, Lord, as I started this sermon by quoting what the rabbi said, that when you return, even the dust of the ground will cry out, curse, get off me. So we stand in this moment. And, Lord, maybe you're speaking to us of areas of our lives where we have allowed the curse to come in and speak some things to us that weren't true. And we begin to believe those lies. We begin to operate our life expecting bad and expecting negative and expecting to be broken. But we stand before you today and we say, curse, get off me. Curse, get off us. Curse, get out of here. Because today we make a choice with our loved ones and with our spouses and with our families that we will not choose cursing, but we choose blessing today. We choose life. I choose to believe in the promise. I choose to contend in the faith. I choose to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Even when there's no evidence of the answer, I'll be like Abraham and I'll believe God. So Father, would you speak to us today? And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name.